everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Discovery. Uh, Today is a really exciting day. Um, I cannot wait to get into the next about hour-ish together because we're continuing on in this series that we've been in for the last few weeks. Um, We really only have one more week after this one, and then we're into Easter and then beyond. But this series has been called Worldview, and the whole idea is we wanted to engage a few weeks of just going, man, when we read Scripture, What is it that when you're, say, in the West and, say, in the American West, and even a step further, maybe even the suburbs of the American West, when you read something in Scripture, you go, oh, I get it, that when you would step outside of that cultural perspective and see it from a totally different culture, what are the things that then you would read it again and go, oh, now I see something new? And our last several weeks, we've been um, hearing from our global partners. A couple weeks ago, we got to hear from our friends from Albania. Last week, our friends from Costa Rica. Uh, And today we get to hear from some really special friends of ours. Can you recall what you were doing in 1996? Some of you were not yet born, which is pretty exciting. But in 1996, Dan and Christy Rich stepped onto the mission field. Um, And I'm going to welcome them out right now. For 27 years, these two folks have been faithfully serving and giving their lives away. Um, Most of that time in Paraguay. Dan and Christy, oh, you're over here. Come on up, come on up. Um, give them a huge round of applause, you guys. These are some heroes. Um, up on the screen, let's put, uh, since 2006, we started our partnership with them in 2003, but since 2006, we've had different groups from Discovery going out. Here's all the different crews that have gone out over the years to go see them and see things that are growing and developing in Paraguay. Uh, It's been absolutely phenomenal. So this morning, you're going to get to hear directly from Dan and Christy. They're home on kind of a a short sabbatical. They'll head back to Paraguay this summer. You're also, at different points today, going to get to hear from some friends who are in Paraguay, uh, Bettina, uh, Balbino, and Pedro. So uh, they wanted to kick just a quick introduction of themselves, too. So can you roll that first video? Good afternoon. I'm Balbino, and she is Bettina, my wife. Together as a couple, we are serving at the Iglesia Mano Amiga, a hand of a friend in Jutu. Since the founding of this church, we are working in this church. Good afternoon, I'm Bettina. I'm also a member of the Bible Church of Jutu, and I greet all of you. Thanks that we can always count on you and on your prayers. Good morning, Discovery. Good morning. Well, this is really a special privilege for us to be able to share and also to for you to see and meet some of our, our friends. Uh, we've really enjoyed the trips. So if uh, those of you who have been on trips to Paraguay, uh, thanks for going and we hope that there might be some, some more trips in the future. Uh, just a note, uh, the trip in 2017 and the one in 2018 was exactly this time of year. So uh, about five years ago and six years ago, we were in Paraguay together with some Discovery people, and it has just been so great. So we're Dan and Christy. We are really happy to be here. Uh, Zach said that we have been in Paraguay for a long time. We've also been partners with Discovery for a long time, uh, more than 20 years. So thank you for many, many years of financial support, of uh, 
project money, thanks to the tithes that you made on your building project, we were able to get a building and fixed up in Juthi and get a bus. Um, we thank you for Advent Conspiracy money over the years that has funded so many projects. We thank you for so much practical help in the years that we come home, one of every five, filling our pantry and moving our furniture and moving it back and lending us things, and we just really appreciate you, Discovery family. We also want to let our friends, uh, Baldino and Bettina and Pedro, uh, say thank you. So we're going to have another short video and then we'll continue. Thanks to those who had donated for the bus, which is right here. And thanks to the bus, we can mobilize to wherever. And we are working in the youth camp. And thanks to this, we can all go to the camp from here in Juti and picking up some youth along the way and greetings and thanks to those who have given for the bus. I greet you all. Our thanks. We greet you with the love of Christ that unites us. Despite the distance, we know we're all one big family in Christ Jesus. Before we uh, hear from them, we want, we're going to have uh, our friends tell you a little bit about Paraguay's Holy Week and what it feels like to be there. Um, so, and then we're going to be uh, taking some lessons. We have about three reflections or lessons that come out of that that we want to be uh, sharing with you. So if we could just roll through these. Um, for the background on the Holy Week part, know that this is a national holiday and it starts Wednesday. So this is a long Wednesday through Sunday week off. Uh, listen for what they say that we do during these times. That's our church building. Thanks for making that possible. Currently in these days, we're going to be remembering Holy Week. It's a date in Paraguay that's well remembered. Although idolatry enters into a lot of it. We're getting ready right now to share what Jesus really did for us. He came to earth to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins and cleansed so that everybody hears about Christ's love and the salvation that he's given us, and that he died and rose on the third day. Well, that's one of the things that we're teaching and sharing. In these days, we want to go to San Francisco, to a church that we always try to go share with, with young people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So they can keep hanging out together, sharing time together, having Bible studies, games, and talks, and spending time together to keep going ahead on Jesus' way. Right. So we wanted to just kind of summarize a little bit. What does it feel like to be in uh, Paraguay during, uh, during Holy Week? Uh, for one thing, it's not springtime there. It's the end of the summer, the fall. It's pretty hot usually. And so... Uh, the, the week, as Christy mentioned, is a, actually a national holiday. So you'll have um, the Monday and Tuesday is to be normal work days. Wednesday is often cheaper day. And if you stay for lunch afterwards, you can try some, uh, some cheaper. Thursday is a total holiday, visiting with friends, with family, and a big barbecue Thursday evening. 
And then Friday is, is Good Friday. It's Holy Friday, they, they call it. And it is the day that you can't do anything. Then Saturday, you have another barbecue. And then Sunday is the day that you travel back after having visited family. So that's a little bit of what it, it feels like to be there. And lots of hanging out. Um, you heard that. You heard sharing time together. So our first lesson learned from Holy Week in Paraguay is what you've been having for your sermon series before this. No hurry. Be relaxed. Spend time together. Sit around. Drink tea. Talk. Share. Uh, she mentioned going to San Francisco. That's not California. That is our San Francisco in Paraguay, about 30 minutes from our Jutu church, but be together with other people, fellowship. So that's the first lesson that we hope you learn from Paraguay. Um, so, right, the, we, we wanted to actually put this in practice, this idea of slowing down, and so we're going to uh, spend some time reading scripture, uh, what we hope that our friends in Paraguay would do on Good Friday, especially when there's nothing else going on, uh, and just listen and uh, imagine that you're sitting there, uh, you've had a pretty relaxed week already, uh, and you're just going to reflect. And so we're going to read from the book of Mark, the crucifixion, and as we can think about what it means that Jesus died for us. We're going to pick this up as the soldiers are leading him to the crucifixion. Jesus has been tortured and taunted and... You can just imagine you're in this dirt patio and you're sitting with your loved ones around and thinking about this. Yeah, so while we're going back to the picture, um, it could be kind of like the elephant in the room in a way. It's important for us to realize that Paraguay, being in Latin America, is a Catholic country. 90% or more of the people uh, would consider themselves Roman Catholics. And the, uh, to be Paraguayan for some people is to be Catholic. There's advantages of that. One is that you can have a national holiday that is, uh, that is Holy Week. Holy Week is a national holiday. The disadvantage is that uh, the gospel, the actual message of the gospel, because people uh, externally will be religious and because this is just part of what you do, the gospel can be uh, hidden. It can be kind of uh, covered up by the traditions and the religiosity of the people. It could happen anywhere. So we're going to go ahead and, and read this. So uh, you could read along, and, or you could just kind of close your eyes and listen and imagine relaxing and leaning in to what Jesus did for us. From Mark 15, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
When some of those standing near, this, near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So you've reflected on this, you've thought about this in your Good Friday, full stop, unhurried being with other people. The negative side of this, and as Dan mentioned about the Catholicism, is that sometimes these traditions, these especially in Paraguay, these Good Friday traditions, kind of overcome the real purpose of what they were meant for in the first place. Nothing happens on Good Friday. No business is open. You're not allowed to do anything. Nobody, well, they eat leftover chipa, if that. You're not allowed to play soccer or do any work. I have a friend who this week was talking about her, her son's birthday is, he turns eight on Good Friday. And she's wondering, what am I going to do? I can't make him a cake. We can't celebrate. Uh, and not that the traditions are bad, not that the rules are bad, but if they take the place of what they really meant and real reflection on this, what we read about Jesus, that can be a negative thing. Uh, the second part of the negative is kind of the, the other side of the same coin, is that people who, who love God and followers of Jesus, uh, especially in the, the Protestant traditions in Paraguay, have totally overreacted against this. I, I said overreacted. Uh, we feel that because even... Uh, as you, the, on Easter Sunday, many churches in Paraguay uh, that are, are Protestant churches will not even have anything about the resurrection. It'll just be a normal Sunday, like any other Sunday, continuing whatever series they're doing in, uh, in the, the, the epistles of Paul or something like that. And so uh, it's the, as we see this, the application would be, let's make time and uh, that's for, the, for the, the time. The next one would be, don't let our rules and our traditions overshadow the meaning that they're meant to. And the third part would be, let's not overreact to or overcorrect and uh, proverbially throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, but, but take what's, what's good in the culture that, uh, that, that we're in. And we'll be talking about culture in a little bit. So ironically, Resurrection Sunday is almost nothing in Paraguay. Uh, as Dan mentioned, evangelicals often don't even touch it. And it's the travel day home from your big, long Easter week celebration. So unfortunately, what for us in America is one of the biggest parts of the week is just lost. We're going to talk about a third point. We have our first positive community full stop, our second negative, let's not overcorrect or let traditions take over without good thoughtful reflection. Our third point, we want to talk about culture. So we know that the Bible was not written in a vacuum. It is in their cultures. And uh, when you talk about the Gospels, it's the early first century. And, uh, and it's written in those cultures. And as we study the Bible, we try to understand those. And that's a, a lot of what uh, preaching is, is understanding the Bible in that culture so that we can apply it to our culture. The second culture is our culture. So we, uh, all of us have a culture. We can't just say that it's, it's somebody else's culture we uh, have ways and lenses of the way that we look at things, look at life, look at the world, and look at scripture. And 
uh, as cross-cultural workers, Christy and I have left suburban North American culture and gone to Paraguay, and we ex experience and live in another cultural milieu. And so uh, we're just going to talk about how those things can uh, kind of uh, interact together. So one important principle is that the gospel should be simultaneously at home in a place and foreign in a place. There are parts of the gospel that really, really fit, and this is the job of your pastors here to take that biblical culture and make it fit into your culture. But you can't make it fit completely. And as we're going to another country, we need to be really, really sure that the foreign parts of the gospel are because they're the gospel and not because they're our culture from America. We would never go to Paraguay and have our digital countdown on what time church is going to start and start right then because nobody would be there. We wouldn't have a coffee house in the lobby because people don't drink coffee in Paraguay. We've got our other alternative form of caffeine here. So you, we, we don't want to bring foreign things in because they're ours. We we want the foreign things to be what's foreign in the gospel. Hmm? And so this adjusting to the cultural context has a word, and it's the word is contextualization. Um, and one of the things that contextualization uh, implies is that the gospel has things that attract, things that are at home, and, and it, it's attractive in each culture. At the same time, it has things that, that don't attract, that actually offend, uh, because they're just incomprehensible in some cultures. Uh, in every culture, there will be something like that. And then it also expands, and that's the point of this whole series, is to try to expand our view of God, of his word, and uh, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, in this day and age, in, in this culture, and around the world. I want to give you some examples of that offend, because I know that is offensive even to have that there. Again, like the foreign part, we're talking about things that because it's the gospel offend, and that's going to look differently in other countries. Um, we have the incredibly powerful passage of Jesus pouring out his heart in Gethsemane in just overwhelmed agony. And really in North America, that kind of appeals to us. We like that he's being vulnerable. We like that he's showing emotion. That is very offensive in some other places where men don't do that and where leaders don't um, show this resistance to something where your historical famous people who have to die like Socrates, they take it with humor and strength. So that would be offensive to some people in other cultures. How about for us maybe something in North America offensive to many is... Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's only one way, and that really, really offends people here. We're not going to change that because that's offensive. That is part of the gospel. And recognize that there are cultures in the world, the Muslim culture would have no trouble at all with the idea that there's only one way, of course. So let's offend in the right ways. So this concept of contextualization is not just for us as, uh, as global partners, cross-cultural workers, to think about where we go. It's something for, for right here, too, to think about what is it that in our culture that is at home in the gospel, or that the gospel is at home in our culture, and what is uh, offensive of the gospel? And are there anything that we are saying or doing that's offensive, but it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel? And so we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of, of merging our culture because it's, uh, the gospel is at home, and what does it look like to, to properly merge uh, our culture with, uh, the, our follow, and follow Jesus in our own culture without uh, improper and distorting uh, mm -hmm. mergers. 
So we're going to give some examples from Paraguay and then some examples from the United States of maybe a bad merger. This is the big word for this we call syncretism. This is when something from the secular culture maybe gets into your church culture and it shouldn't. It distorts, as Dan said. Here's our example from Paraguay first. Um, the Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday. In Paraguay, it's the biggest, most attended uh, Sunday in rural Paraguayan Catholic churches. And it's because people cut palm branches, uh, you know, to, to act out the Jesus entering in. Uh, but they, they cut them and then they stand in line and... Uh, present them to the priest who blesses them, and then they take those palm branches and put them in their homes, and that is what they believe will ward off evil spirits for the next year. So this is a, a mix of animistic beliefs and evil spirits and a fear of those, and it, we, we would call it syncretism because the, the Catholic Church uh, has decided that they would like to... to uh, accept this and bless this, uh, even though in our point of view, it's helping people put trust in something besides God. It's putting it, their trust in uh, a, little, uh, a little good luck charm. It would be like bringing a rabbit's foot to Zach uh, or other staff at Discovery and asking him to bless it so you can put it in your car so you don't get a ticket or have an accident. Uh, so, uh, we're thinking about what does it look like in Paraguay? Well, what do those things look like in the U.S.? What are some cultural things that might be syncretistic in our context? Here's our disclaimer. We are not making any judgments. We are not condemning it all. We're going to put some things up here that might make you feel a little upset, maybe. It's just for food for thought. Huh? These are, we're going to show you some parts of the American culture that could work their way into the church, and that could be bad, but not necessarily. We just want to help you to think through this. And I forgot to say thanks to my professor from seminary, Dr. Klingsmith, for these slides. So the scientific method and this idea that we can just explain everything. We have systematic theology that exactly explains every single question we have about the Bible. How about a really clear divide between secular things and sacred things and never the two shall meet? How about materialism, consumerism, um, we like stuff. Does that come into the church? And does the church try to be bigger and better? Um, and then performance. We really think that what we do really, really matters. And in the church, too, and maybe let's have a great kids program so we can get all the families with kids that are around here to come to our church. Um, next, how about um, solitary encounter with Jesus? Um, just Jesus in me, this is how I connect, just me by myself reading the Bible. Um, we have this problem in English, we don't even have a word for you all, right? I mean, y'all, I guess that would be kind of funny to put that in the Bible, but it, there are Bible, biblical words in there that sometimes are talking to you guys and we just take it like, oh, this is just me for me. Um, individualism and trying to be just on our own without a corporate body. How about um, in the church? What are some implications in church culture? Um, not even going to church. Why do we even need to when we can just be home and not have to be with other people in the, the uh, congregation? How about coffee houses? How about music, kind of rock-type music? 
How about Christian nationalism and blending patriotism and Christianity or flags by the pulpit or honoring veterans in church? Again, we are not saying that these things in the culture are bad and maybe not necessarily in church either, but think about the merger and really is the merger accomplishing the purpose or could it be distorting part of the gospel? So the application of this part is just to, to be aware of how our culture affects our Christian lives and how it affects our message as we're sharing about Jesus with other people uh, and what's a, a good merger and what is going towards syncretism, actually uh, a merger that distorts the message that we're trying to live out and we're trying to share. We want to talk about some of the implications for Jesus' death that we reflected on a little bit ago. He saves us. Praise God. This is an amazing, incredible thing. And our thing in North America that we tend to rejoice most about in that salvation is that he takes the penalty from our, for our sins, and he does that. Amen and hallelujah. But there are some other things that he accomplishes through his death on the cross that are also great that might be felt more keenly in other countries. So whether we realize it or not, we are what we call a guilt culture. And so, as Christy said, we, we realize that there's a law. When we break the law, there's punishment that's coming. Uh, if we're Christians, we realize that we have broken God's law and we deserve punishment. And the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and he died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. So there's two other kinds of cultures. One of them is the honor-shame culture. And they're not so... Uh, concerned about this uh, this guilt idea, but it's relationship. So the, the, the consequences of breaking the law is not so much that you get punished, it's that you uh, are shamed or that you shame your family and that relationships are breaking down and the relationship with God as well is breaking down. And so the gospel is good news because he has taken our shame and he has reconciled us with God and with each other. The fear culture is the third kind of culture, and it's different from the other two. It's more that we are under the power of evil spirits and, and others, and that we have to figure out how to manipulate our surroundings so that things come out right for us. And they're concerned about that power and the powers that, that affect our lives. So Jesus' death is good news because he has conquered the powers. He has conquered evil spirits. He has conquered death. And so uh, these things we want to illustrate in two passages of scripture. Let's read from Colossians. See if you can think of what this one would be really touching. God was pleased through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Can you hear the shame culture come out there? This reconciliation, you were enemies and now you're not. The next one is also from Colossians. You'll hear guilt first and then fear, and I'll explain it after I read it. God has made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." 
Can you see the two sentences? You see the guilt one first and our legal indebtedness, and then the second one. You see that he has triumphed over these spiritual authorities, and we don't have to be afraid of them anymore. So as we invite the band to come up, I want to tell a story from some friends in Paraguay. Uh, their names are Cesar and Marisa. They were going to a Bible study with some colleagues of ours in the evening, and they got back to their house and found that there was clear evidence that someone had cursed their house. Normally, this would be a huge worry to them, but because they had just studied the story of Balaam and Balak, uh, that there is no curse that can stand against God's loved, beloved, chosen people, they, they got to their house, they remembered the Bible study and God's power, and they just cleaned up the, the evidences that they saw, and their f normal fear totally dissipated. Their way of thinking about things and power it was good news. The gospel was, the Bible was good news to them. So thinking through our three lessons as we conclude, we hope first of all that you can reflect and take time to be with each other and stop and not hurry during Holy Week. We hope that you cannot let traditions take over the real true celebrations. We hope that you can think really critically about how to make the gospel at home and foreign at Discovery. And to conclude, the gospel is good news in every culture. So as we reflect about Jesus' death and resurrection this Easter, whether you are a follower of Christ right now or not, we hope that you can think about how Jesus suffered in our place, dying for our guilt, he was exposed for our shame, and he conquered our, uh, our fears and calms our fears to interrupt death's power forever. We are forgiven reconciled and protected. And to close, we want to let Pedro say uh, his thank you, uh, and then we'll continue on with our service. Thank you, thanks for everything. I bless you, thank you for, for being, and we wait for any of you who can come and visit us here in Paraguay and the churches, and we can share together. Thank you. We'll see you later.